This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. Kiss me quick. And kiss her you will in this sex romp fantasy with all of his weird contraptions. All heaven breaks loose when this bloodless blimp appears from another planet. Well? Well what? Well what? This boy is really sick. Sick or not, sex we got. See Drac try his best with this hot bomb in... Kiss me quick. Kiss me quick. Remember, kiss me quick. This is a hottie. Kiss me quick. Coming to this theater soon. From downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 76. The Nudie Cutie, 1964's Kiss Me Quick. Yes, this is our first Nudie Cutie, and uh, I guess a little definition of what a Nudie Cutie is. I mean, these are films that were made in the 60s in order to show as much uh, nudity on screen... Uh, as was legally, legally allowed, yeah. Yes, so I mean, a lot of our favorite filmmakers, such as Russ Meyer, uh, Herschel Grant Lewis, they start off in Nudie Cuties, and these Nudie Cuties, I mean, basically... The makers of Nudie Cuties, by their own admission, will say these movies are not good. There was very little plot. All the plot was was just an excuse to string together a bunch of burlesque dancers who would come out and dance and gyrate and, uh, you know, um, giggle around. Mm -hmm. And the plot was always very flimsy. I mean, the main thing was to show as much tits and ass as possible. They could not show anything full frontal. So you see a lot of uh, G-strings and pasties. But in a lot of these nudie cuties, I mean, they would take place on nudist camps and stuff, and um, burlesque parlors. This nudie cutie, Kiss Me Quick, has some horror elements, which is really interesting to it as well. Now, this was released by Something Weird Video. Something Weird Video holds an amazingly special place in my heart, because when I was getting into horror and also more obscure sort of genre films, when I discovered this label, Something Weird Video, it was like striking gold, because Something Weird Video was started by Mike Rainey in 1990, who unfortunately passed away last year from cancer, and they released all of these obscure movies that you could would never find in a million years. I mean, not only did they release pretty much the entire H.G. Lewis catalog, your Blood Feast, your 2000 Maniacs, all the way up to the, like, the Gorgor Girls, they released Basket Case, they released uh, movies with titles like Chief Freak, New on the Moon, Deadly Weapons, The Curious Dr. Hump, mm-hmm. uh, God Monster of Indian Flats, uh, Defilers, Trader Horny, and on and on and on. Um, every movie, a lot of these movies were double features. So this one also has House on Bear Mountain. 
they'd have tons of trailers. And that's Bear, B-A-R-E. Exactly. Tons of trailers for really obscure movies. Uh, Little, um, you know, industrial films. Just like uh, little films of, uh, you know, just like Betty Page dancing. Like just amazing stuff. So, something weird. I don't know where I'd be without something weird video. I love this label. And another thing I will say about this movie, Kiss Me Quick, is that this was the first film to be produced by Harry Novak. Now, Harry Novak was a prolific producer of these nudie cuties. Um, he produced movies such as The Booby Trap, The Taurus Cleopatra, The Toy Box, Wham Bam Spaceman. <laughs> but he also produced a film called Rituals, which was a 1970s Canadian tax chapter horror flick starring... Um, God, well, I can't, his name escapes me now. Um, not Overread? Not Overread, <laughs> but... Uh, damn. Um, Hal Hartley? I don't know. We can look it up. <laughs> yeah, fact yeah. check. Anyway, Rituals yeah. was an incredible survival horror in the, in the um, sort of wilderness, kind of like along the lines of Deliverance. And yeah, I mean, Harry, who would have thought that this producer of Doing Cues would make this amazingly underseen and under um, appreciated um, Canadian horror film? So when this movie begins, it's kind of bizarre. The credits are spoken, mm-hmm. spoken by one of these uh, burlesque dancers, whose character's name is Kiss Me. Yeah. And she mentions the name of the producer, whose name is... Um, Harry Butts? <laughs> Seymour Tuchus. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was close. I mean, that gives you an idea of what these movies are all about. I mean, they're just vaudeville shows. I mean, yeah. the jokes are... are... Gigi String. Yeah, yeah exactly. Stars, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gigi String, and uh, instead of Barbara, we got Boobra. Yeah. And they're just a whole bunch of, uh, you know, really lame, corny jokes. Strung to... But some of them were funny, you yeah. know? <laughs> strung together with lots and lots of uh, dancing and jiggling, and uh, it was... It, I find them to be absolutely charming and entertaining. Yeah. They're short. They would make great party films, you know? Play them in the background, right? When your friends are over having a few drinks. Again, no plot to speak of. <laughs> Although this one has somewhat of a plot. Let's describe the uh, very, very gossamer thin plot of this film. <laughs> well, I guess uh, this. Uh, uh, I guess the, the planet Buttless is a single <laughs> sex planet consisting only of, of males, and they're looking to uh, explore explore the galaxy and the I guess the leader of this faraway planet sends his emissary a guy with like a colander on his head and a feather <laughs> to, to town to earth to find the perfect female specimen to procure so that he can take him back up to his planet to Sterilox sorry his name is Sterilox his name is Sterilox yeah. to take him back to his planet to, for breeding purposes mm-hmm. now why the planet was called buttless I have no idea because he, he <laughs> no certainly idea. did have a butt right? yeah just but for was... cheap vaudeville jokes exactly yeah. so he gets um, transported down to this um, sort of like this mad scientist uh Labs, yeah, yeah beacons like, and uh, or beakers, beakers. Yeah, and, yeah. Don't worry, we're, we're yeah. stumbling over words yeah. right now, but it's okay. It's, it's yeah, beer plus a nudie cutie will be that to you, right? A beaker of light. And, yeah, yeah. And there's you know, the, you got the standard you know antennas with the mm-hmm. electricity coming, and you've got this um, skeleton. Yeah, it was a bit like uh, the Craig Ferguson show, <laughs> you know, this wise-cracking uh, um, skull. I've never seen that. that so they have. Oh, okay. That? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Craig, Craig Ferguson's, you know, uh, you know, second banana was a, a skeleton, or mm-hmm. is if the show's still on. And this guy, yeah, makes just he cracks wise at the whatever pronouncements made by this doctor. Breedlove. Dr. Breedlove. Not Dr. Strangelove. No, no, who looks very much like him and who the emissary refers to as 
Dr. Birdseed. Is that supposed to be funny? I don't know. I find it funny. <laughs> and uh, this guy's got a lab and he's trying to, you know, uh, to, you know create the uh, perfect, perfect female, female specimen. specimen. Yeah. And uh, invariably he's showing different, I guess, his product offerings from mm. the lab to this, this uh, Sterilox and just shows these various... Uh, I guess sort of buxom women uh, dancing around to s- surf and safari kind of uh, six, 19, early 60s surf music. Yeah, go-go music, yeah. You know, burlesque, a little beatnik sort of jazz yeah. and stuff. <laughs> but um, the, the talking skeleton, I mean, it's funny because you can see the string totally yeah. pulling its uh, <laughs> yeah. jaw open and shot. But he has this Peter Laurie-esque yes. voice, whereas <laughs> Dr. Birdseed, or Dr. Breedlove, has this Bela Lugosi type of yes. accent. And, um, yeah. You Dr. said this was a horror, so they, they have... Yeah, in various parts they feature, I guess, some of his other lab creations are the universal horror characters. Yeah, well, let me get, let, let, we'll, we'll get, get to that, that, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, so what Dr. Birdsey does, or Breedlove, <laughs> is he forcibly... I mean, okay, another thing we got to say, these are not politically correct movies. No. These are made in the 60s, there's a lot of uh, sexual innuendo. Um, so what uh, our good doctor does is he forcefully abducts women and takes them to his laboratory and feeds them formula to make them into his perfect specimens, but also to, to make them sexually voracious, yeah. to make them dance around, gyrate. He has what's called a sex machine, where we're at the beginning we see one woman strapped to it and she just starts to get all... No. Yeah, who knows? It might have been the or you know inspiration for Woody Allen's Orgasmatron. Could, this is, could yeah, be, this is, yeah. And he's got you know some uh, woman doing these sort of calisthenics with a belt, I guess, yep. to tighten her thighs. And that was such a myth. Like, did that thing work? <laughs> that vibrating belt is supposed oh, no. to like make you lose weight. That's <laughs> um, Suzanne Summers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as you were saying, yeah, I mean, we got these um, universal horror monsters that come in. For example, there's. Um, Frank Eastein, yeah. and these are these are his creations gone bad. So these yeah. are like at one point women, but now they're they become monsters. Yeah. So Frank Eastein is basically dressed like Boris Karloff in Son of Frankenstein, but he's about sixty pounds overweight, <laughs> and uh, he's uh, he's just there for some stupid jokes. Yeah, <laughs> um, and there's a Dracula who he refers to as that crazy G- gypsy. gypsy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because when Dracula takes a bite out of um, Sterilox. He breaks a tooth. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Breedlove is like, oh, five years. He wore braces to straighten his fangs, and now this. <laughs> so that gives you this, uh, an idea of some of this humor. Mm-hmm. We also have the mummy, who he says, stop going to my linen closet. I came in there and I saw it all shredded. <laughs> and then the mummy, the mummy goes, I'm really a Hollywood starlet, but they keep me under wraps. Oh, bum, 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 bum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the uh, interplanetary visitor is less than impressed by by the offerings and he he's sort of I guess he's sort of uh, you know dead from the the waist down and at one point he's admonished by the scientist the uh, Doctor Frankenstein scientist that he quote oh, this is one of the best co- lines he couldn't yeah. find Jane Ma- Jane Mansfield in Boys Town it's obviously Jane, <laughs> Jane Mansfield not- you know notoriously big boobed uh, star of yeah. the sixties and uh, this guy yeah he's very sort of yeah, asexual and chaste, as I guess one would be with a pot, a cooking pot, and a <laughs> feather on, on top of his head, and, and painted on okay. sort of uh, black eyebrows. He is chaste, um, although he does uh, eventually fall to the charms of yeah. Kiss Me. Mm-hmm. One of the women's name is Kiss Me, so, you know, hence the title, Kiss Me. And, and they mention the title several times in the film. Oh, yeah, over and over and over again. Now, as we said before, a new, these nudie cuties occupy a very unique place in cinema history, yeah, coinciding with the sexual revolution and presaging them by a few years. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, early 60s, 63, 64, 
the sexual revolution was just beginning. You know, the Beatles had invaded America. Things were starting to happen. But, I mean, at this point, hardcore pornography had yet to, you know, make its way into the mainstream. Um, a la Deep Throat, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so these filmmakers just found a way to get a bunch of burlesque dancers, string together a couple thousand bucks, get some, uh, you know, hammy vaudevillian, uh, you know, comedian to write some really lousy jokes. Yeah. And, you know they were they were men and they played these played grindhouses on like Forty Second Street and stuff. But I find them to be um, charming. I find them to be oh yes, you do groan at some of the puns. You do groan at some of the uh, political incorrectness. Yeah, but there's something so innocent about it. I find. I mean, considering the fact that we live now in an age where anything and everything sexual can be seen at the click of a button. You know. Yes. You know the fact that this was how people had to sort of get their rocks off back then. There was something very innocent about it, and I find it very sexy. Mm-hmm. You know, you see these women, and they're they're buxom, but they're also they're they're not perfect. They're not no. airbrushed. You know what I mean? You see little flaws here and there, and they're jiggling around, and uh, you know, it's there. There's a bit of tease, a bit of suggestion, and there's it's 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 sexy. Yeah, well, well lest you you think this is something in some ways empowering. There's also an, a scene where they uh, come off like a uh, a ramp assembly line from yeah. some sort of. Uh, well, the shipment of women have arrived. Yeah, yeah. and and I guess they they uh, slide down this this ramp, and then the scientist judges them with a stamp that he affixes to their rump, right. either prime like beef, yeah, uh, reject, reject. Uh, what was the other? Kosher, oh, kosher. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And our favorite, the end, the end. Yeah, <laughs> the one that was uh, between the buttocks. Yeah, yeah. there's a great closer right there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what else can we say about uh, Kiss Me Quick? I mean, it's uh, it's a quick movie. It's only about 62 minutes long. This could be a quick podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, again, it, they're, they're fun. They're a lot of fun. And, as I said before, if not for, you know, these nudie cuties, you know, Russ Meyer, who's one of my absolute favorites, I mean, you know, he would not have had a career. I mean, he started with this. He made money. Then when sexual uh, permissiveness became or sex, sexuality became more permissive the the taboos and the mores loosened yeah then he was able to like you know start making a little bit more you know well laughing. as you said when you had your your chat with herschel gordon lewis he started in nudie cuties as well and then when that sort of ran its course he started to explore new avenues for basically making a buck and that's where he when he turned to horror well yeah because these things became i guess passe when any movie uh, made after 1966 on could show a pair of tits exactly. that lost its cachet. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, he was one of the pioneers of nudie cuties, H.E. Lewis, but then he said that, you know, they started to become inundated with them, so he wanted a new hook, um, so he, Gork was that, you know, that, that that's why he's the godfather of Gork, mm-hmm. his first big Gork. Then, in the mid to late 70s, when Gore was becoming ubiquitous, yeah. he basically said, okay, I've done it and that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. So H.G. Lewis was certainly um, a, a pioneer in so many ways. But yeah, it all started with the nudie cutie. I haven't seen many nudie cuties, but the ones I've seen are fun. The Immoral Mr. Tease, that was Russ Meyer's first nudie cutie. <laughs> and uh, so, it's hard to give these movies a rating, because they really aren't movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're just basically giggle fests, yeah. you know, with some corny jokes. Uh, think of an episode of you know some variety show like the um, some hee-haw, hee-haw or something. Hee-haw or yeah. something. But yeah, with it's like country bumpkins. You have like here you have monsters and uh, burlesque dancers. So you know, I mean, I guess for nostalgic value and for also for just the sheer sort of innocence of it all. 
it's so weird because we bridged the 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 divide between the uh, having to work hard for this stuff and having it be, as you said, ubiquitous mm-hmm. via the internet. So when you have like means of distribution, it's you just it's hard for maybe millennials listening to this podcast to really appreciate how hard you would have had to work to find this stuff. Oh, like yeah. I've talked on previous podcasts about the you know uh, you know we live in a very multicultural city and. There was there are lots of you know ethnic newscasts and mm-hmm. there's a couple of TV stations that would broadcast in Chinese language, Mandarin, Cantonese, Italian, mm-hmm. Portuguese, and there was some Italian films that were on really late at night between one and five in the morning, and I would look them up in my trusty Italian English dictionary to see if they had a salacious title, <laughs> and then I would t- uh, set my alarm, wake up and watch these things, which invariably involves like some sort of, uh, you know, lecherous duke, like if, uh, you know, peering through a peephole or something. So like people just will not focus. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, uh, bodice ripper type things with uh, and you just, it's impossible to appreciate. And thankfully, City TV, I got to see the entire filmography of Shannon Tweed. You know, yes, those the erotic thrillers. Baby Blue movies that yep. came into prominence in the uh, 80s when, you know, uh, Toronto was nicknamed Toronto the Good, and it has a sort of Puritan reputation that mm. was sort of belied by this station that was... Very salacious. Salacious, yeah. and profiled in uh, David Cronenberg's video drum, yeah. where they would run these... Uh, Swedish softcore movies uh, after 11 and 12 at night and this was the only means other than or the these, grindhouse or these B movies with, yeah. uh, you know, where it was like sort of like a thriller but with uh, ingenue like Shannon Tweed or someone or uh, <laughs> Carrie Wurr I think her name was and someone who dropped their, their top of the moment yeah, yeah. Um, it was just amazing you could just type in Oh, just for example, you know, Natalie Portman topless yeah. into your phone right now. I'll do it right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's it. And that's, that's done. And Well, it's funny because I've always maintained, I mean, I'm not going to be one of these people, you know, who say, oh, the millennials, blah, blah, blah. Because, I mean, listen, man, like, the internet is an incredible medium for communication. But I've always maintained that for everything the internet has given us, it's taken away something. Yeah. And the ubiquity of, um, of nudity on the internet has sort of taken away some of the mystique and as a result... Finding it yourself. Yeah, and as a result, it, it's lost some of that real... Okay, so I just clicked in now that we're topless. <laughs> and here we go. 35 picks. Uh-huh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. It removes that real sense of um, mystique, that sense of dirtiness which was also you know and the sense of discovery you're the magellan of tits like going around looking for something that you've never seen and uh, we've talked about this before when you have netflix Mm -hmm. where you see a thumbnail of some movie and you just say oh you read the synopsis in a hundred words and then you go okay maybe i'll watch that but you don't have anything invested in it because it's if it's shit you're finished and you bail Mm -hmm. whereas if you go to a video store, or back in the day, you put your hard-earned money to see if, yeah, yeah there's you're way more invested in it, mm-hmm. time-wise and money-wise. And I was going to say, I mean, regarding um, nudity, I mean, of course, you know, there was your Playboys, right? Which my mother was very permissive as a as a um, single mother. My mother actually bought me Playboy magazine starting at the age of fourteen. Holy crap! Yeah, you see, everyone's surprised when I say well, that. Well, that's yeah, it's not good parenting. Well, I no, to bring it to you, Chris. I have to be my mother and my <laughs> oh, father. Okay, and yeah. She sort of wanted my development to be, you know. Uh-huh. So I was like, Mom, uh, there's somebody, and then you know, there's um, I don't know, some celebrity in the Lacey show Playboy. Can you please buy it for me? And she did. My mother was was very cool that way. Everybody's so shocked when I say that. I don't know why. I think it's normal. Um, but 
Maybe not. It is kind of not normal. <laughs> but anyway, but when it came to the more hardcore stuff, you know, your uh, your swanks, your sherries, mm-hmm. your jugs, your hustlers, uh, your scores, because I, I, you know, what I would do is we had this store, um, there was a mall called Town & Country, later renamed Centerpoint, and uh, this was a variety store, but they had a huge stock of magazines, and the top shelf, of course, is all the pornography, right? Now... You know, as a young kid, you're kind of looking. You're like, you know, you're pro wrestling illustrated, right? But <laughs> you'd slip in a copy of Jugs. Yeah, you would do that, right? But sometimes I wanted to do more than that. I wanted to purchase it, right? So I would pick up like a PWI, a Mad Magazine, uh, whatever else, a Cracked, and then I would grab like a Hustler and put it in the pile, hoping that when the lady behind the counter, this little Asian lady, was <laughs> scanning my magazine, yeah. she wouldn't notice my copy of Jugs. And it worked about three out of ten times. <laughs> yeah. I'd have this paper bag in my hands, and I. I love my Mad Magazine, but the first thing I went to was, and I was sweating, and I was yeah. nervous, I thought I'd get caught, and then, yeah. but you know what, it was great, man, it was great. Yeah, and then the same experience with, with uh, video pornography as well, because that's another thing that's just lost to, to the World Wide Web, is having to dig through it, and I, I recall like a, some sort of trip, I think, to Ottawa, you know, Canada's capital there, and uh, we were staying with my buddy's uncle. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend, and we were, you know, crashed in their, uh, you know, we we're probably like 15, whatever years old, and crashed in their basement because they had a, you know, finished basement or the family room, or whatever. And then we, late at night, me and my buddy came upon this, the guy's uncle's stash of porno. And then, you know, VHS, you plop it in the thing once everyone had gone to bed, and it was, that was something. And I don't know what. The experience now would be because I can't have well, a time machine mm-hmm. to enable to make myself uh, younger, or whatever. But just to be able to type in sex mm-hmm. and then everything would pop up. <laughs> now, you know, as I got a bit older, I would go to these, you know, to rental stores, and you know, they would have a back room, and you know, you would rent your tapes and stuff. But I mean, I remember the first time I saw a hardcore uh, porno movie. Um, I might have been now again. My mother was buying me Playboys, right? But so you know, you think that I would be. Ready for it? Mm-hmm. I was not ready, dude. No, I was not either. I yet. was not. I was. I think I was about fifteen. A buddy of mine came by to spend the night, and he's like, "Hey, man, let's put this in." It was one of his dads. <laughs> yeah, of his dad. It was. It was a, something he dubbed or something. He put it into the machine, and I was forget gore. Forget. I mean, I, I, I was horrified. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm I'm looking at Playboy. Everything is airbrushed. Everything is very chaste. I'm, this is way too anatomical <laughs> for me. This, yeah. this is way too anatomical. I was like, oh no, no, I'm. S- Please take it off. I was disturbed, man. Yeah, I was not ready, you know. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing because you know I was fifteen. I should not have been ready. Yeah, for sure. So, do you have the same experience when you first watched porn? The exact same, and but it just it speaks to as with every medium, there's some sort of uh, revolution that mm. sparks its more widespread distribution mm-hmm. and. Whether it be yeah, the mode of entertainment in you know uh, 19th century England would have been the penny dreadfuls, which these little sort of uh, you know novella things that were full of salacious sex and crime stories that or were the the, uh, the Grand Queen all theaters yeah, and everything yeah, and, uh, twirly mustaches yeah. and, and and burlesque and and various ways of severing body parts that I guess only came to an end maybe when cinema achieved prominence because then they could show similarly horrifying you know films where you wouldn't have to go see this live so I think it had the last Grand Guignol theater closed probably in what the 50s or 60s mm. and uh, we just lost our very very last Grindhouse theater here in Toronto yes on, in Koreatown 
Uh, it never went in, but they, they would they routinely screened the uh, Debbie movies. Uh, Debbie goes to college. Debbie mm-hmm. does Dallas. All that other all the other famous ones. Tarantino loved that place. Mm-hmm. He actually wanted to have his world premiere of Kill Bill. Volume one or two there, yeah. But at that point, I think the place was starting to really like fall apart. And apparently, I've never been in there either. But I walked by. Many well, I've a heard time. of it, and the trench coats, trench coat set would uh, dominate, and, and it would just the, basically be filled with the smells were really, really uncomfortable. Yeah, like solo middle-aged guys mm-hmm. just going there, you know, you know, as dressed in the aforementioned uh, article, just to go. You know, yeah. undo your belt and just, you know... Pull a Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, personally. yeah. Or even walking down Young Street, like every third shop was like a grindhouse or like a some sort of store where you peep go show, the back yeah. room. I mean, these are these are things that are supposedly um, frowned upon by society, you know, pornography and peep shows and stuff, but yet they hold, they, they hold an important part in society all the same, you know? And, you know, the internet as I said before, it's given us so much, but it's taken away so much. And as you said, Chris, it's a real thrill of discovery. Also, the whole point of going to a video store, and we'll go back to a horror film right now, and you know, this is a very circular discussion, so we're talking about Kiss Me Quick and Nudie Cutie, and now we're talking about, uh, with Combined Horror, and now we're talking about porn, and now we're talking about horror again. Going to that video store, pick up that box with that very sort of, like, kind of creepy-looking cover art, you know? Not exactly knowing what you're going to get, like me, pick up the Toxic Avenger or Basket Case. Yeah. Turning it around and looking at, at the one or two stills and going, whoa, this looks very interesting. Yeah. Bring it home, put it into your machine, and just really feeling like, wow. Like, I just discovered something that blew my fucking mind. Yeah, I'm with never no resources, no foresight, no re- yeah. research, no, uh, like, with, with the exception of uh, maybe a Leonard Malton uh, video, uh, like, review mm-hmm. book. And the guy, uh, and people often would not. routinely frown on the exactly. Kind of they would give it a bomb rating. You yeah, know, these movies. You know, you're Friday the Thirteenth. You're, you know, you're the things. The thing was critically like, roasted, yeah. despair. I've talked about yeah. the Cogner remake when it first came out. Uh, it, came, it had misfortune coming out the same summer as ET. So I mean, a lot of people when it came to alien movies, they didn't want that sort of thing. Yeah, but yeah, no. I mean, you would go, and sometimes you know you'd rent these movies, and they were very, uh, you know, Corman was was very famous for doing this. Very sort of well, you know, he was a he was a huckster. You know, there'd be something on the on the front of the video box, a, a gorgeous woman, whatever. She wouldn't, wouldn't appear in the wouldn't movie. Appear in the movie. Yeah. Or a certain scene or something. But you know what? That was all part and parcel of what it, what it was all about. Yeah. And, you know... And it's even more of a hustle now to get your name and your your product out because everyone is now Corman and everything has been leveled mm-hmm. to, yeah, the, the, the point where there's bifurcation of big budget and everything else. And that's what Hollywood's turned into. And it's so hard to make a name for yourself. Everyone is making do with 20, 50, 100 grand. Mm-hmm. So it's just amazing. I don't know, Corman probably didn't envision that everyone would be like him these days. Well, it's, yeah, like just like Lewis didn't envision when he made his, for when he made Blood Feast, that, you know, gore would become something very commonplace in just about 10 years' time. I mean, Corman, the king of the bees, you know? Like, he yeah. never thought that, uh, yeah, there'd be so... I mean, I get, so many people... The progenitors of Corman, right? So many they 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 worship the man, right? But at the same time, they're not making the movies with the same level of craft, the same level of commitment, the same level. Like Corman wanted to make good product, not just product, good product. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not everything was. I mean, look, Jack Nicholson. You watch 
we saw the Corman documentary. Yeah, he was all over that thing. He's he, he gives yeah he gave him a start for was yeah he's indebted to Corman for giving uh-huh. him a start. But I'm just saying. But as you were saying before, yeah, that's another thing that that's interesting now is that you know there are so many uh, filmmakers making really uh, cheap movies um, because they can now. It's just uh, yeah, everything is leveled, and, and it's the same with books too. The means of delivery is is different, so anyone can write an ebook. And anyone can make a movie. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's good, mm-hmm. but everyone can, and then the market is flooded with more stuff, and then even harder to get your low-budget stuff out. But I will say that the cream will always still rise to mm-hmm. the top, you know what I mean? So, yeah, the market might be flooded, but if you make something good... I don't know if we'll ever have another Halloween, you know, like this low-budget indie film made for, like, $40,000 and ends up playing, you know, in thousands and thousands of screens and makes, you know... Um, 180 million on its first release gets re yeah. released. I don't know if we're going to have that again, but you know, it's, it's just it's very interesting. Um, and we, we, I mean, we champion indie cinema, we love it because we like discovering these directors that are original, that are mm-hmm. doing something new with their limited means, like for example, our friend uh, Henri Coteau, mm-hmm. Henri Coteau, you know. So, this has been a very interesting discussion we've had. I mean, we started <laughs> talking about, I thought it would be like a 12 minute discussion about Kiss Me Quick. Okay, take care, but yeah. you know, in a way, we kind of sound like a couple of grumpy old men, you know, back in my day, you know, and uh, but hey, but you know what? No, I mean, look, not that we would have a take a time machine and go back to that because we would prefer this in a way, right? You didn't have to hunt so hard for certain things. Everything is at your fingertips, so you take the good with the bad. Uh, Kiss Me Quick, to get back to that, just exists in a time capsule. Mm-hmm. It, there, there was, it was so fleeting, and it was basically, what, five or six years mm-hmm. that it, it, they dominated, and then the culture changed almost immediately, leaving them in the dust. And the one thing I will say, too, is like, okay, so for example, you have Kiss Me Quick, right? You have the new to Cutie, right? Then, all of a sudden, Hollywood... Is starting to show nudity in their you know big budget features in the late sixties and stuff. So the nudity cutie sort of went away, and then you know we had Deep Throat, and pornography became accepted into the mainstream, right? And of course you saw Boogie Nights, right? So with pornography and movies like uh, you know the Debbie movies and your Deep Throats and your pornography movies, they became mainstream, and so you had these producers making these big budget 35 millimeter porno films that actually played not on 30, uh, 42nd Street but in actual cinemas yeah. then along came VHS and now they're making pornography direct for the video market uh, making these filmmakers these porno tours go out of business yeah. so then the VHS market was booming creative and, destruction yeah, and then, amazing. you know in, in um, that part in California I can't remember what it's called where Vivid Studios is located yes. and stuff yeah. that was like a Silicon Valley of porn okay so then, it's, it's all coming out on videotape. And then, hey, this is it, man. We're going to make it my first of our lives. Along comes the internet. Yeah. It changes the game yet again. And so amateur porn uh, just uh, undermines, again, not yeah. that you'd call them auteurs, but all the, like, the, your vivids and I forget the other uh, production companies, and we have them in Quebec as well, where they put out all this stuff. But they can be, are basically compromised by people putting out their own product. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so who knows? Who knows? You know, there could be another revolution, you know. And to replace the podcast and replace us? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope not, you know. But, um, yeah, that's, that's a cool thing about doing a podcast, like what we do, where we just sort of, like, we just let it roll. We don't think much or we just talk. Because 
I, I, I just feel hey, like the, the bl- some people have already pronounced the blog to be a dead medium. And mm-hmm. so our site, www.reallyawfulmovies.com, not to plug it right, right there, but there are people who called for the end of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever it was called, you know, Marshall McLuhan's creative obsolescence or whatever it was, there's always something that destroy something mm-hmm. else. So we would like you to continue reading our blog and to continue listening to this. And, and if there's another medium, we'll go to that. And we, yeah, and we talked about another medium, books. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I guess this is. Uh, there's no time like the present to uh, drop a little uh, hint here. Like we can't give you a title or a concept, but uh, we have just finished writing our... Well, mine will be second book, and with Jeff, it'll be his first, and mm-hmm. we've collaborated on a horror book that we're really proud of. It's being put out in 2016 by Bear Manor Media, mm-hmm. and we're really excited, and we hope you can order it, and we'll have uh, we'll, details we'll, very soon. We'll certainly be keeping you guys in the loop with that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, we, we're really, really excited about this book, and I won't say anything, but we got a forward written by... One of our idols. One of our idols, yeah. and so this I'm over the moon about this, uh-huh. but... So, uh, yeah, I guess, wow, great discussion, man. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, keep listening. Yeah, yep, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you.